Okay, so we're going to do a countdown. We're going to go three, two, one, clap. Okay. And the clap will give us a big spike mm-hmm. on the waveform, and then Marshall can use that to line them up. Perfect. Cool. Three, two, two one. one, clap. Cool. Okay. Perfect. Welcome to episode 390 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how are you doing? Wait, which ear are you in, Marshall? Oh, I'm in your right ear. Brian's in your left. <laughs> Marshall Bach in your right ear. Bow, bow, bow. Oh, sorry. I forgot to do my thing yet. Uh, we've got a good episode. We have an interview today. It's been a while. Yeah. I, we say that every time because we do have a little bit of a gap so that when we do have an interview, it's like, ah, this is kind of refreshing. Yeah. I mean, it used to, that's what the show used to be. It was all interviews all the time. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, today we're catching up with Kathy. Catherine Gonzalez, the head of design infrastructure at DoorDash, and we get to talk all about design systems. But before we get into it, we got to give some shout outs. Yeah. We have uh, two Golden Ratio supporters this week. So huge shout outs to Mailbrew. Mailbrew is your personal daily digest of everything that you actually care about on the internet. I use it to get a daily digest every day of the top links tweeted by people I follow and the top tweets among people I follow on Twitter. This helps me spend less time on Twitter and actually just condense all of the important stuff into one nice little tidy email at the end of the day. I highly recommend it. I pay for it. This is the most easy subscription to Justify I can imagine. Go to mailbrew.com slash DD to sign up and you get 30% uh, after your free trial. Cool. We have a new golden ratio support this week, Around. Around gives you video calls designed for collaborating and building things together. Marshall and I used Around to record last week's episode. Here's what I love about it. Instead of taking up your entire screen with big boxes of people's faces and backgrounds, you can actually video chat, and it's just these tiny little resizable circles for each person's face. They have really beautiful filters. It's super simple, and what this means is it's actually possible to video chat and make things at the same time uh, so you're not covering your whole Figma canvas. It's wonderful. You should check it out at around.co slash design details. All right, we have some new very important pixels this week as well. This one is going to be fun, Uh y'all. I'm I'm aiming for a 30% hit rate on (laughs) name pronunciations this week. Um, Let's get right into it. Huge shout-outs to our new VIPs, Nacho Alenda Salazar, Michelle Barjourney, Monica Conrad, Eugene Dobrovolsky, Josh Ramirez, Pam Jipang Shi, Chris Alid, Ryan Maglahez, Paige Wood, Nicole, and Balas Barta. Wow. Maybe 30%? Yeah, that was a tough list. <laughs> I, I tried my best, yeah, everyone. You me. all are amazing. Uh, I'm sorry that I suck. But thank you so much for supporting the show this week. You know, one cool thing about this aside from the obvious cool things, is that every week I see new surnames that I've never heard of or seen before. It's amazing. In my life. Yeah. And here, Gabe, this one's for you. I wish we had like a geographic overlay of Mm. where supporters are in the world. This is so cool to know that a lot of people around the world are even finding out about the show in the first place. And then joining the fam. Yeah. So welcome. Thanks, everybody. Okay, so today's episode is an interview, and on interview days, the sidebar is bonus questions. Mm -hmm. So we were going to have a proper interview, and then if you want to get into the bonus questions, head over to the sidebar. If you're supporting on Patreon, that'll be a separate audio track that you can go and download separately, 
And if you're not a Patreon supporter, go to patreon.com slash design details. You can support us for just a dollar a month and you'll get access to this extra bonus segment with bonus questions for the interview today. And then a bonus segment called the sidebar for all future episodes going forward. Once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. And with that, let's get into our interview with Catherine Gonzalez. Okay, we're here. Catherine, thanks so much for coming on the show. For people who don't know you, do you want to just introduce yourself, who you are, what you're working on? Of course. I'm Catherine Gonzalez. I am a designer, engineer, but currently the head of design infrastructure at DoorDash. And what we do at DoorDash is we build design systems. So anything design systems related, both from the design point of view and the engineering point of view, we have a lot of opinions about. Yeah. (laughs) This is going to be very fun because we get lots and lots of questions about design systems. Mm-hmm. Marshall works in design systems. I don't, but there's a lot that we don't know. And I think you bring a very unique perspective because you are the first person to work on this at DoorDash, if I understand that correctly, right? You were the first product design hire? Yeah, I was the first product design hire in 2015. Um, oh and I also happened to be the first front-end engineer at DoorDash. Yeah. And so both of those things happening at the same time was uh, a great recipe for design systems to be a a part of what I was able to contribute and am contributing to DoorDash. Yeah. So I want to just dig in here. First of all, maybe let's just get a quick recap, like what got you to that first foot in the door at DoorDash? How did that happen? I think... I went through a a really wild process getting into the industry in the sense that I am a two-time college dropout, dropping out for different startups at different times and doing it for different reasons. And so to really start, I have always been a um, designer in, in the sense that in high school, I was building websites and just reading all sorts of books on typography and just learning as much as I could about graphic design. I remember being enthralled with uh, a forum called Mac Themes, where you could get downloadable icon sets from different people and just being blown away by the kind of beautiful UI and beautiful iconography that people were doing back in the day. And so in 2011, I was in college. I was studying CS because I had been doing design stuff and wanted to actually build that. So I went to school to learn how to be an engineer that could actually make all the, all these beautiful things. Uh, and I realized that CS in college does not actually equate to making things and does not equate to learning how to make things in a way that my design slash engineering brain was really excited about. And so in the summer of 2012, I did an internship as both a designer and engineer at a place called Fuzzco which is a really amazing agency out of South Carolina, where I'm from. And then the following summer, I went and dropped out to work at a startup called Fetch Notes, which was in Boston. And it was basically five University of Michigan college dropouts like myself, just trying to (laughs) build productivity tools and make something really fun and exciting. And so I was the design hire there that was making all the design work that was going on at Fetch Notes. And I also happened to be building a lot of their front end stuff because I just love doing that. I thought I could make something really beautiful by being both like the designer and engineer. So I did that. I ended up failing at that startup. We uh, ended up shutting down in early 2015. And what I did was I went back to school at the behest of my parents, um, tried to understand whether I would actually want to be someone that would finish 
college, I realized that second go around did not like it any better. And then I decided to go work at DoorDash after being in contact with their design founder at the time. But how did that even happen? Because this was early days, DoorDash, right? Yeah. At that point, there was probably about 50 or so people at DoorDash, mostly like operations and engineering folks. There was eight engineers at the time that I started. And how I got in contact was mostly just through um, some contacts from my previous startup that was trying to shop my name around to Mm. other places because I was trying to get out of the school game. Oh, that yeah, that old game, that gambit. (laughs) Needless to say, it wasn't the the most fun thing for me. So I decided to just do the startup thing once again. And I ended up connecting with, you know, the, yeah, our chief product officer at that time, um, Stanley Tang, who's our uh, co-founder at DoorDash, and then the brand uh, designer that was working at DoorDash at the time. And we just really hit it off. Okay. I think with your skill set, you could have come in either as a designer or as an engineer or maybe as a hybrid. Was there any decision making there on what you wanted the framing of your role to be at the very beginning? I think initially I really went into it with this frame of I want to become an awesome designer. I had been doing both the design and engineering hybrid thing at my previous place. And I was like, I'm going to go to a startup that for all intents and purposes of my career was huge compared to the five-person startup I was at. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to uh, be able to focus and work on just design and get really good at design. But I think as I started working at DoorDash, I really started to understand that that love of doing both and that interest and skill set was just something that would draw me no matter what. And I should lean into that versus kind of trying to uh, deviate from being a hybrid. I see. Yeah, but with the hybrid skill set, like in a startup environment, it's kind of like a superpower because you can do both. But at a certain point, maybe you're nudged in one path or the other. What was it like for you? Were you encouraged to do both? I mean, you ended up doing both, but did you have to fight for that? I think one of the things that has been super awesome in my career is that all the mentors, all the people that... I've been learning from have always encouraged my excitement at both the design and engineering parts of our job. And I think being able to have that support has been uh, part of the reason why I have been able to really specialize in that world. And I think along the way, there's always these decision points where you can choose one way or the other. And I think it never was something where I was uh, being asked to just do one or just do the other. I was always kind of encouraged to explore. And, and then eventually, like when we were able to understand, okay, there's a space for someone that can do both of these things in one role versus kind of jumping back and forth. We made it happen. In 2017, one of the things that was really amazing was I was fed up with going back and forth between these two roles and on different projects. And so I just wanted to bring it together into one role. And I talked to my manager at the time, Josh Abrams, who was our head of design. And he encouraged me to just write a job description. What is it that you actually want to do? And what is the kind of activities and skills that make that thing up? And so I wrote a job description for a design technologist, which at that time was a role that only a few companies really had or had defined. And to me, it was this hybrid role that I could really have both of my skill sets and have it be focused on design systems and design tools. And I was able to write that job post, um, give it to my boss, and 
really have him like lean into it and say, you know, this sounds like who you are. Like, let's just make it happen because, you know, it was obvious that I loved that work. Did you find it frustrating or, or too ambiguous that you were having to write your own job description versus having sort of a predefined career trajectory or career ladder document? I feel like having it be predefined would be boring. Mm. I am someone that I think has always taken decisions that maybe unorthodox that uh, don't necessarily have a path that is well-defined and just, you know, said, I know myself enough to know that this is the thing that I want, even if it is ambiguous, even if it's like unknown, I actually think that's exciting and that's interesting to me. And so I was very gung-ho about being able to define it for myself and like kind of figure it out along the way. Yeah. So I saw a tweet this week, which I think is relevant here. It was something along the lines of how do you define a design technologist, perhaps in contrast with an engineer or a UI engineer or something like that? Like, how how do you think about that? Or maybe more specifically, what did you end up writing in that job description that really made it a design technologist? Yeah. I I mean, I think to me, a design technologist is a designer. It's someone that is making design decisions and really driving a design forward, but they're doing it with different skills and a different background and maybe a different um, way of approaching problems that comes from the world of engineering that comes from the skill set of coding. And so to me, that's really what a design technologist is. It's someone that can help drive forward, for instance, like a design system or a product design with the actual technical understanding behind it, and then be able to communicate it in a language that other designers uh, really understand and can buy into. Is there any distinction between that and a design systems designer or design systems person. Like the word technologist, I I think is the part that's throwing me off versus like a traditional title. I don't know. Is there a meaningful distinction there? Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on the org in the sense that for us, design technologists and design systems designer do have a very similar kind of role in the organization, but the kind of focus area or the focus of their skill and craft ends up getting for a design technologist being focused on the code and for a design systems designer being focused more in traditional like design tools. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. So you wrote your own job description and this got approved in some way. And then what happened? And then I just really started diving into the world of design systems. I think we had always come at design with more of a systems uh, framework and idea in mind just because of the nature of the team that we had at the time and because I had been on that team for quite a while. And so we had had proto versions of design systems before 2017. But once I really started that role, I jumped in and tried building what I thought was the right MVP effectively for a design system that we could then apply to our products on iOS, Android, and web. And for for me, there was a lot of discovery. I didn't know anything about building a design system. I'd never done it before, like professionally. So really trying to understand what was needed and what was necessary and what would make us successful. That was really like a lot of year one for me. I know this was a while ago, but do you remember what that MVP or the shape of that MVP was? Because we actually had a listener question, which kind of prompted this whole interview in the first place. It was like, where do I start with building a design system? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, like one of the things that I got from that process is you have to understand what 
the needs are and who your audience is and what is the shape of the organization at the time that you're trying to build this MVP in the sense that I think for different organizations, you can focus more on maybe the code or what is like the actual components of a system. And for some organizations, you might actually need more understanding of, okay, how do I better define the design patterns? How do I better like refine and shape how our brand is expressed through our product? Mm -hmm. And so those are very different kinds of problems. For DoorDash, one of the things that was really key at that point was, one, our design team was super small. There was like five of us. And in many ways, like, seemed odd that a design systems designer would exist at that point in a (laughs) um, company's life cycle. So I was very lucky in that regard. But two, the explosion of engineering on the other um, side of our organization, there was so many new engineers coming into our organization. And I think for us, like being able to better support them and to make our product and the overall output of our design org in terms of the product, that was the right focus for us. Uh, Building components, building a code library that our engineers could use. So that was really like what we ended up focusing on because of that. How did you make sure that you weren't over-optimizing too early or, or leaning too much into the systems part of it too early when the company's scaling like crazy and you have to be shipping really, really fast? I could imagine you sit at this intersection point where if your work specifically takes a long time, it slows the whole company down. So how did you sort of balance those trade-offs? I think for us, and and, and this is this carries forward, I think, in our philosophy um, at DoorDash on systems in general, is that we have to really first take the patterns of work, the things that we already know people are doing on a day-to-day basis, maybe more custom, or maybe someone has already componentized something. And we want to make sure that we're taking the stuff that works and putting, pulling it into the system so that it's easier for other people to make use of those patterns and really sure. make use of those components. And so rather than, I think, um, focusing on re vamping or changing like the system and taking the the time to think about it from those first principles and starting over. What we really did in the system was try to take the things that worked and bring it into the system in a more generalized, componentized way. And that was sort of how we focused on the things that wouldn't be controversial, that wouldn't slow people down and just shipped really quickly. And then from there, like with the system as like a a means of updating, as a means of changing the designs in the future, we could make those changes when it made more sense. Right. Okay. So one question that we get quite frequently on, on the show is people asking about how to sort of maintain consistency going forward, because what usually happens is you'll introduce some pattern early on. Okay, here's a dropdown. And then over time, the needs for a dropdown become more and more complex. And so the question is, do you fix the dropdown component and update it across everything all at once? Or do you just improve the dropdown component and only implement it on like the newest surface that needs it and then just find time to backfill? Like how do you prioritize backfilling updates to patterns as you're learning and evolving? I think it's definitely something that is a balance for, for us. Like some of the things that we do is we work with our product design counterparts and our product engineering counterparts to make space for the work that, you know, is necessary to 
fix patterns that may have new guidance, may have new usage that we want people to start making use of. And so being able to make that space organizationally and in terms of the prioritization of the team is really important. And, and that's something that like we uh, try to organize from, from our end. Like We have the best understanding of where the system is going and where it's been updated. How can we work with our various teams to really own that and adopt that into their work? And so for us, like some of the things that we're doing right now actually is we're working on adoption um, sprints that help us know, okay, what are the parts of our products, like our consumer apps or our merchant apps or Dasher apps, and say, where are we behind on component adoption, on pattern adoption? And how can we help our various teams like get to that next phase? So there, there's like more of an active role for us there. There's also, I think, a, a role for the more organic updates that I think happen when people really need something for a particular project or they need to spearhead like a new pattern that is uniquely suited to a, a project that they're working on right now. So for instance, like if we have something that is new that's coming out for map related products at DoorDash, like for instance, our pickup application, how do we make sure that we're helping those folks that are just in the weeds on map stuff um, use new parts of the system that are more map focused because they're the ones that really need it right now. And then we can work with other teams that may have used older iterations on our map guidance to say, okay, like there, there's a lot of work happening right now in this area. Like we're going to help bring this back to uh, your world too. So I think there's some of that active work. There's also some work to let, you know, the product teams that are using your system help drive new adoption because they need it and because they want to contribute back to the system too. Okay. Lots to unpack here. <laughs> the first question is around making space. I think you mentioned that a few times and I'm wondering what the impact is of having a design co-founder or what do you actually do to make sure that your team has the space to go through and implement things correctly? Because a lot of times you might not get that space or the organization comes from a background where that space isn't prioritized over just shipping and like, I don't know, working on more product stuff versus system stuff. What was your experience in actually finding that space or making the arguments to the, the right stakeholders? Like, no, 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 we need to slow down a little bit so we can get things caught up. I think it's really important and, and was important for uh, me as I was thinking about this is you have to understand what the needs are of like the company. So for instance, like for DoorDash, I knew that there was a, a need for systems early on because of like this growth that we were experiencing. And so like to tap into that real problem that is real for lots of different kinds of stakeholders and to be able to say, okay, like systems is a, a way for us to help alleviate that kind of inconsistency, that lack of quality and to make it better through something that also benefits all these other realms um, for, our, for our team and for our org and for our product. I, I think like being able to have that insight of like, what is it that other people are trying to solve and what is it that you can like sort of sidecar into to make what you care about and what you're trying to do also a part of the solution for these other problems that other people care about. 
And, and so like, I, I think for me, if there wasn't a problem or if there wasn't an actual sort of engineering or design problem that we would solve with systems, I wouldn't actually want to <laughs> advocate for it. I think there's it's a so lot pragmatic. of pragmatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of cases where design systems, I think, especially early on when you don't know what the product is or when you don't necessarily have a sense of what the end state of the kinds of like UIs or the kinds of design problems you're trying to solve are like it might not actually make sense to do a design system or at least a design system that people understand as a design system. And, and so I think you have to be really, I think, pragmatic about when you fight the kind of battles that um, you will fight trying to start a design system. Like you have to know like when is the right time to do this and when is it actually solving a problem? Because if it's not solving a problem, like what's the point? Okay. Speaking of problems. So DoorDash is a multi-platform application you mentioned earlier, building mm-hmm. for iOS, Android, and web. One question that I struggle with today, I don't know, Marshall, I know you're working on YouTube, I'm working on GitHub. Same problem. Like how do you build a great system that works across all of these platforms. And obviously mm-hmm. different companies have different philosophies on this, right? Some people choose to go native per platform. Some people come up with their own sort of visual language. Probably Airbnb is a good example of this. How do you think about design systems across the platforms that you have to support? Yeah, I, I think basically the, the way that we've handled it is we've implemented that approach where we have our visual language and we implement it everywhere. Because for us, our use cases aren't super complex. Like it's it's in many ways an e-commerce app that we're building. And so for us, like having more consistency across the brand, for instance, on our consumer products is really key. And so like that coupled with the fact that we want to have more efficiency in how we're designing and not necessarily needing to account for large changes between our different platforms. Like that, that's part of the reason why we've gone with that um, approach. But for more complex use cases, I think it does make more sense potentially to have more deviation based on platform. But for us, it's um, not, I think, as important. But even that trade-off of, okay, this is going to be really easy to design because it's going to look the same across all the platforms. There might be a trade-off there on how easy it is to actually build, right? Versus being able to use more native components. So how did you navigate that trade-off? Like easy to design, but perhaps harder to build? Or am I making up that trade-off? I I think that is a very valid trade-off. I do think that there is a upfront cost that uh, you can have as like a design system team, for instance, if there's more deviation from what the platform is best supporting for different like kinds of components. I think part of it is like a solution from both the design and engineering point of view, which is on the design side, like stick closely to patterns that are relatively like similar between the different platforms yeah. and that like, for instance, the one of the places where we do have a deviation um, between a component that exists across all three platforms is our navigation bar. So mm-hmm. on Android, like navigation bars, like their titles left aligned, like next to the back chevron. And then on iOS, like there's the large title headers. And if there's a condensed header, then it's center aligned. So being able to say, okay, like that's a battle we're not going to um, fight. We're not going to make a custom, like, yeah, you know, yeah. navigation <laughs> stack, like being able to say that's a trade-off we're okay with, but then everything else is more consistent, more custom. That's something that we're okay with. Okay. Yeah. 
I feel like the navigation part is where a lot of people draw the line. It's like, no, we don't really want to rebuild the whole infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, I've got it, got it, got it. Slightly complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're the first person building this out. I imagine at some point you're just overworked. You need help and you have to scale yourself, your abilities, and hire more people to build design systems. I'm curious about that moment of inflection where perhaps you're like overworked and need help Mm -hmm. and then transitioning to having help because you have to make this trade-off of, okay, well, now I'm going to go find help, which means that's less time to actually build the thing. So how did you actually navigate that transition from just doing everything yourself to scaling the team? I think the way that it happened was I was doing both the design and engineering of the design system. I had mostly focused on the website of the design system just because that's where my skill set lied. And I was spending a lot of time on more of the shaping of the design of the design system at that point because the foundations of the code on the web and front end side had been more established. And so I was trying to figure out what the next level of impact I could provide through the design system was and what what that meant. And what I was really starting to think about is like, as a company, we're very mobile oriented. I was doing more of the Figma side of the mobile work at that point. But I think being able to showcase that the design system and like the sort of conception of it that I had, which is it has to be both like the actual design patterns, the guidance, and then also the code to make it real in our products. I I needed to build the system so that it could actually uh, be that for our most important platforms, which are iOS and Android, because we are definitely a a very mobile-oriented company. Mm -hmm. And so what I decided to do was, one, make the case that we should grow the team. And for me, like what that meant was having other people that were working both on the design part of the design system and like the ways that designers would use it and as well as like the the ways that our engineers would use it like a design technologist role and initially i got feedback that to really make that this case to expand the team in that way i needed to demonstrate that the system could be applied fully on those platforms that mattered most And so what I ended up spending quite a bit of time on in the summer of 2018 was one, both defining the design systems designer and design technologist roles and like how I would hire them. And at the same time, building the initial versions or iOS and Android design uh, system libraries, and then doing that to enable accessibility work that we were also leading at that time, trying to ensure that our products were accessible. And a big part of that was making use of our design system and its accessible color system at that time. So that was a a very difficult summer because there was a lot of stuff going on and I was working on the system in very different ways. But I think being able to get to a point where we launched a first version of the system that was more visual language oriented, like what are the co- like the colors and typography that we want across all of our mobile apps and applying it to our main uh, consumer application to enable some of the accessibility work that we needed to do. That gave me the, the, the fuel as an argument of, okay, this is the kind of work the design systems team can do. This is why it's important for us to grow the team. And so I was able to start hiring at the end of that 
um, summer for a design systems designer role and a design technologist role. And I hired my first person in October of uh, 2018, uh, Matthew Liu. He's an amazing design systems designer that's on our team today. And uh, the rest was history, really. So what ended up going on the job description for the first design systems hires? I mean, I think the things that were really important that I called out were one, do they have a really high bar for craft? I mean, I think one of the things that's important about the design systems role is that you are setting the standards for the rest of our design team and like the the product that we end up shipping. And so like being able to see the details and have a really high bar for what you're producing in the system, like is just super important. And, and then for us, like the part of how we like narrowed that was that visual design and more of the interplay between design and engineering and how do you communicate between those uh, two like sides of the system. Like those are the two things that were really important for us on, on the craft side. And so th- those are some of the things that were highlights in, in those early job descriptions. I think for the design technologist role that we also ended up hiring, I, I think early in 2019 at that point, was really being able to drive design decisions as like an engineer or design technologist, but also like someone that can code and that can build something that other engineers really trust. Because I think that's like one of the things that's really important for our system is other engineers have to find it like super useful and they have to trust it implicitly because it's the foundation of all their work. And so craft on the engineering and code side was important because of that. So the, that, you know, that was another aspect of what we were looking for. Okay. Let's dig into cool things and then get you out of here. Cool. I think for me, the the cool thing that I've been excited about is the NCAA tournament is back on and it, it's being played at March Madness for anyone that's not sports uh, oriented. Um, Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hello. It's it's happening now. It, it, it is March, as they say. And so this is the first tournament uh, since 20... 19 because last year the tournament got canceled due to everything that happened in the world and wait what all... happened last year last march <laughs> something weird happened? Possibly. yeah no, 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 nothing <laughs> nothing happened last march and so it's just been really exciting seeing um these teams that had to play a very weird year of covid basically like they played a, a year of or a season of basketball this year that was addled with teams getting knocked out because of COVID restrictions, like needing to have teams that they were expected to play cancel on them the night before because of all sorts of uh, COVID issues and being able to like sort of see this odd sort of experience of sports, which is purely something that is like for pleasure. And that really is the the peak of entertainment in, in some ways, like being able to see these large operations of various teams across like the country. And these are like college teams and college organizations trying to make it all work and kind of piecing a season together. And then it culminating in a tournament that they're actually able to run with all the kind of knowledge that they've gotten over the last year, like taking care of their uh, student athletes and like making sure that everything is all safe on the cusp of I think the world getting a lot better with vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think is it just feels like in in a very small way in in the way of sports and how 
that makes you like excited and, and how it makes you feel that things are getting back to a little bit of normal. And we're like right there, like we're mm-hmm. almost back. I buy that. I buy the the symbolism here. Uh, who's your pick for taking home the gold medal? <laughs> uh, I think my pick, and and this is just because I'm a huge shill, is that my Michigan Wolverines. Because I went I went to school there. I didn't get mm-hmm. a degree, but I still love the sports teams, not the call, not the actual curriculum or <laughs> or schoolwork. I hope I hope they win. They're they're still in it, so we'll see. Awesome. Well, maybe by the time this comes out on Wednesday, we'll see what happens. Yeah, this could age very badly because they have a game tomorrow. So yeah, yeah, we'll, right. we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Fingers crossed. Okay, cool. Marshall, you want to go? Sure. So mine is also, I guess, kind of sports related. It is the third season of Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix has been released. And I don't know if you watched either of the first two seasons it's a great show. I, I do like racing, uh, but not a whole lot of other sports. So, so, <laughs> okay. so uh, this is the one, the one. We yeah, get. yeah, this uh, I like watching football too. That's mostly for the rules, though. We've gone over this before. Um, so this show is really good. They get into all the behind the scenes stuff that you don't see, including all the stuff that happens on the race course. What's really interesting about the show, and I'll keep it short because I could go on for a long time about it, is. Every week, they kind of follow a different team, whether that's Mercedes or Racing Point or Haas or whoever it happens to be. And for that week, for that episode, you're rooting for those people. But the very next episode, they're going to be covering another team that you're going to be then rooting for. Like, oh, because you get to see all the behind the scenes stuff of yeah, like yeah. their hopes and dreams and problems that they've overcome and stuff that they're dealing with, with management and all this different stuff. So it's just this weird dynamic of like, oh, wait, I was rooting for that person, but now I'm rooting against them because <laughs> this time we're following this guy. Plus, there's a, a big crash that happens near the end of the season that they kind of play up to throughout the entire season. So like, and you don't know who unless you follow it live, which I don't oh, yeah. you don't know who it is or you know what's going to happen. So anyways, great show. Formula One Drive to Survive. I would watch the first two seasons before we watch the third because there's a lot of interesting learning of the quote unquote characters that you gain from those first two of seeing how the teams evolve and stuff and how, how drivers go back and forth like musical fucking chairs back and forth between all these different teams. I see. So, Anyway, so even they don't they, even they don't have allegiance. Like, why should you, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's kind of one of the topics of the show is like, what does it mean to have allegiance? What does it mean to sign up with another team halfway through this season, knowing that you're going to be leaving and going to that other team? Yeah. 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 Anyways, yeah, I, I could go on forever, but I'll cut myself short here. It's very interesting. Check it out. Cool. All right. Uh, my cool thing this week will be the kickoff of the next marvel disney plus show Mm -hmm. uh falcon and winter soldier the falcon and the winter soldier i don't know what the the full title is but it's the one with falcon and winter soldier uh first episode came out marshall and i we we have a very complex like way to watch things together um multiple sets of headphones and screens yeah it's it's complex yeah, yeah It's been very complex, but then we finally realized that Disney Plus has sort of a group watch feature, which we will do next week. Anyways, uh, good setup. I don't know, Catherine, you into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yes, I just finished watching WandaVision with my partner, I, I think a week and a half ago. So just being able to see that 
suspense driven show and seeing everything kind of wrap up but not not fully mm-hmm. um was was definitely uh fun are you gonna watch the falcon and winter soldier uh yes uh okay. though i have i'm less interested in those characters in general but we'll see how how it goes me too generally i thought wandavision was compelling because i liked the characters but I feel like yeah, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I need to learn a little bit more. Like maybe this is the moment for me to become a little more emotionally invested because they haven't mm-hmm. done a lot of backstory for either of these characters. Well, maybe not for Winter Soldier. Anyways, it's good. Episode one was good. You should check it out, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. Nice. Long too. I think WandaVisions was like a half hour episodes, 20 something minutes. Yeah, this was so short. Yeah. This one started at 50 minutes. Oh, wow. It was way more satisfying. I'm like, yes, please <laughs> give me something to bite into. Yeah. Credits roll and you're waiting for more show. Yeah. Cool. All right. This has been episode 390 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to tweet at us at Design Details FM if you're enjoying the show. We love hearing from you. If you enjoyed the interview with Catherine, be sure to tweet at Catherine. Uh, Catherine's handle on Twitter is RYN Gonzalez. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. I'm sure Catherine would appreciate hearing from everybody. If you want to hear bonus questions for this interview, go download the sidebar. Sidebar is a bonus segment available for our Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash design details. You can support us for just a dollar a month. Thank you again to Catherine for taking the time to chat with us today. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Yes. Beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> Couldn't have there done it go. better myself. Yeah. That was very that was very martial, martial vibes. Yeah, you like channeled that. me without even knowing it. I, I feel like we just have the very same buy because I, I I do that for every meeting. <laughs> <laughs>